are Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Monday, December 20th. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you can also check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at TalkinHockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And if you like what you're hearing today, then please be sure to go and follow the podcast. You can also go and leave me a review if you want to as well. It'll only take a quick couple of seconds, and it's all for free. Wherever you may listen to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcast, etc. It's all for free, and if you go and follow the show right now, then you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. Alright, good morning everyone, and as always, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks, and for making the show your first listen here to start your week. I hope everyone's off to... A good Monday here so far. We got Christmas coming up right around the corner all of a sudden. And it's also nearly the end of 2021 as well, which is pretty crazy to think about. But I'm sure many people like myself uh, are ready to turn the page after another pretty tough year that we've all been through. Anyways, on the show today, folks, I'll get into the Blackhawks back-to-back overtime losses over the weekend to the Nashville Predators and the Dallas Stars both of which, honestly, were pretty frustrating and subpar performances from the Blackhawks, dropping their record down now to 11-15-4 through their opening 30 games of the season. And then to finish things up on the show today, per usual, to start the week will be our Mailbag Monday fan segment, where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners right here on Lockdown Blackhawks. All right, to start the show off today, folks, Let's begin with that contest on Friday night coming against the Nashville Predators. And heading into the game, the Preds, they had won their previous six contests. And they were also 12-5 and ever since uh, the first meeting between these two teams back on November 7th. So... The Blackhawks, they were going up, a pretty, going up against a pretty hot team. But at the same time, the Predators were without eight of their players on Friday night, including Ryan Johansson, Michael Granlin, Nick Cousins, Ben Harper, uh, and several others, along with their entire coaching staff. No John Hines, none of their NHL-level coaches. The Milwaukee Admirals coach had to come up to coach the Preds for this one uh, because all of those folks were in COVID protocol. This game definitely shouldn't have happened, by the way, uh, with the Preds missing. So many players, and also risking the Blackhawks for exposure here as well. I I didn't think that was a good idea. And the reason I say this game shouldn't have even been played is because literally the next day, Saturday, the Preds got shut down until after Christmas. So it, it was just kind of like, why didn't they do that the day before? Why did they risk the, Bra- the Blackhawks now getting an outbreak? Uh, I guess the NHL probably... Wanted to squeeze in a a quick back-to-back for the Preds before going with the shutdown route, which shows you, of course, all you need to know about the NHL, by the way. Um, But yeah, the Predators, they were down eight players, down all of their NHL-level coaches, and they were also on the back end of a back-to-back. They had just played 
the night prior against the Colorado Avalanche, and the Blackhawks still found their way to get outplayed for the majority of the contest. It was just not a good showing here from the Hawks. Uh, The first period was probably their best of the night, Um, but after that, just kind of a whole lot of sloppy play out of the Blackhawks. But before I get into a quick recap and also some thoughts on the game, uh, some more thoughts on the game as a whole, I also wanted to be sure to mention that, um, frankly, I was a little surprised by the goaltender matchup that we got for this one on Friday night because during the show on Friday morning that I put out, I talked about how Derek King previously had gone with Kevin Lankinen in the front end of their back-to-backs both times so far as head coach. And then for the Preds, having played the night earlier, as I just mentioned, I fully expected backup David Riddich to get the go against the Hawks on Friday night after UC Soros played against the Avs on Thursday. And I was like, hell yeah, we get to dodge UC Soros. He's notoriously uh, given the Blackhawks fits over the past couple of years. But of course, despite playing the night before, Soros was still back in that on Friday at the UC. And the Hawks, surprisingly... Went with Marc-Andre Fleury over Lincoln, and I really thought they were going to give Flower the start on Saturday on the road down in Dallas. Uh, so I-, I figured this was going to be a battle of backup netminders, but it wound up actually being both starters getting the nods going up against each other, which I guess was a little bit of a, presence, a pleasant surprise. But as for the rest of the lineup for the Hawks, uh, Henrik Borgstrom first remained out with that non-COVID-related illness that he's been dealing with, and he actually wound up missing both games over the weekend. Uh, And so did Calvin DeHaan. He seems to be the latest player that's dealing with uh, some bad shrimp that he ate recently. DeHaan missed Friday against Nashville and Saturday against Dallas due to a a non-COVID-related illness. So tough that the Blackhawks aren't able to shake that right now, although I guess it could be a, a lot worse with what we've seen around the NHL with these uh, ridiculous outbreaks over the past couple of weeks. One addition to the lineup, though, that I wanted to be sure to mention was uh, Curtis Gabriel drew in for Brett Connolly down on the fourth line to make his Blackhawks debut after finally figuring out those pesky visa issues. But it was only uh, five minutes and change of ice time, though, for Gabriel, so... Uh, wound up not being uh, a very eventful debut for him. But that was the lineup that the Blackhawks rolled with on Friday to try and pick up their second consecutive victory against, as I said, a COVID-depleted Predators squad. Uh, the Blackhawks just haven't been able to string any win, any consecutive wins together here as of late. They flip-flopped wins and losses now for 14 consecutive... Ooh, excuse me, hiccup. <laughs> that, uh... Unfortunately, you know, wound up being the case once again here on Friday night, alternating win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. And a huge reason for this loss on Friday night was because of the special teams department. Both the penalty kill and the power play were downright atrocious, no other way to put it, really. And that's kind of been something under Derek King that's, that's struggled a little bit, you know? While the defense has certainly been better at five on five the special teams department really has struggled under king's lead and their continued struggles in that area really wound up costing them uh against this 
Nashville team on Friday, especially in such a sloppy game at 5-on-5 where uh, not a lot was going on. And midway through the first period, the PK wound up biting the Blackhawks in the butt. Connor Murphy gets whistled for uh, a cross-check. And on their first power play opportunity of the game, the Preds wound up snagging a 1-0 lead as Thomas Novak, whoever that is, no offense to Thomas Novak, but uh, before scoring that goal, I'd never heard of you, bud. But I guess <laughs> I guess Novak winds up getting the last laugh here as uh, he, he snapped that shot through the armpit of Flurry to give the Preds an early 1-0 lead. And that was the first NHL goal there for Novak, by the way. But a huge power play goal surrendered by the Hawks early on in this one. Uh, and, and that's something that's really haunted them recently. It's happened, you know, <clears throat> against Toronto last Saturday, against the Caps. They gave up a first goal. Uh, and scoring that first goal of the game, I think, is so key for this Blackhawks team. And they just simply haven't been doing enough of that as of late. Uh, when Kanger was first here, it seemed like they were doing it basically every game, but that's something they kind of struggled with over these past couple of weeks. Uh, I will give the Blackhawks credit, though, because as I talked about, the first period, personally, I thought was without a doubt their best of the night overall. And they did manage to wind up the game, uh, wind up tying the game just a couple of minutes later as Kirby Dock stuffed one home from a bad angle after a nice feed from Mackenzie Entwistle. Uh, that was actually Macker's second point in two games since returning from his ankle injury. And Dominic Kubelik was also given the secondary assist, which extended his point streak to three games as well. So nice to see that uh, he's finally starting to chip in a little bit more. Just a nice play down low by the Blackhawks to win a board battle. Macker finds Doc on the left side of the net. Saros really didn't see it coming, and Doc put it home to tie the game. One to one, and overall, the numbers in that first period, uh, after kind of a slow start, they actually wound up favoring the Hawks when it was all said and done. They were down nine to six in shots on goal overall in the opening twenty minutes, but at even strength, they were ahead six to five, and they also led seven to three in scoring chances and five to two in high danger chances. So, the offense was actually creating quite a bit towards the end of that first period, but in the final forty minutes of regulation, folks. Oof, Absolutely nothing was going on for this team when they had the puck. It was sloppy passing, missing the net even when they did have their chances. They they really didn't get anything set up in the offensive zone. It was just ugly all around. Um, and one thing I noticed, actually, when I went back and, and looked at the numbers, after that first period, the Blackhawks did not generate a single high-danger chance at 5-on-5 five five for the rest of the game. Not a single one. Unbelievable. Against a team that was on the back end of a back-to-back, down eight players on their regular roster, and their entire NHL coaching staff. Unbelievable. And the power play was no better. Five-man advantage opportunities for the Hawks in this one, and they finished with only two shots on goal total. And those five opportunities, in addition to having only 19 shots on goal on the night. I mean, the offense was downright terrible. And that was, the special teams opportunities, as I talked about, that was really the difference in this game. Because nothing was going on at even strength for really either team. But the Predators were the ones to take advantage of their chances on the power play, while the Blackhawks did not. 
And after Nashville, really the second period is what kind of flipped the tides in the Preds' favor. Uh, the Hawks just came out flat, and uh, after 40 minutes, all the analytics were heavily in Nashville's favor. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury was the reason uh, that they weren't able to snag the lead there in the second period, but eventually in the third, uh, Colton Sissons scored their second power play goal of the game to to jump ahead 2-1. to one. Fleury nearly made an incredible post-to-post save diving across on that one. The puck just unfortunately squeaked through him at the last second. And after that, with the way the Hawks, you know, with the way that things were going for them in the offensive zone, I, I thought there was uh, no way that they were going to beat Saros for a second time in this one. Uh, I think four or five times last year against Nashville, UC Saros allowed one goal or fewer to the Blackhawks. It was absolutely insane. Uh, but to much surprise, Jonathan Taze, just a couple of minutes later, wound up tying the score 2-2 two to two after a great pass from Riley Stillman, who took advantage of the ice that was given in front of him. He, he got the puck at the blue line after Taze won an offensive zone draw. No one really went out to cover him, and he just walked the puck up to the left circle, forced someone uh, to, to go in and step up, and he found Taze cross crease back door, and, and the Blackhawks <laughs> surprisingly wound up tying the game 2-2. Two to two. I really didn't see this one coming. Um, so, despite not playing very well, uh, in regulation, the Blackhawks still wound up getting a point in this one. Uh, they were heading to overtime, and, and honestly, you know, I was hopeful that they were going to get the job done in OT, but I kind of had a feeling this was going to be the night that ended their, you know, ridiculous win streak in overtime and in the shootout, coming into Friday night in games that had reached extra time under Derrick King. The Blackhawks were 6-0. and um, but I, I felt like the clock was kind of ticking with the way they were playing with fire against this Predators team, and eventually, uh, Roman Yossi went and found Tanner Janot on a two-on-one to seal the deal. No chance for Flurry to save that one, and and a poor change from Patrick Kane. Um, I know that he took a puck to the face just maybe ten seconds prior to going for that change. But he still skated the puck into the offensive zone after that happened. Clearly, he was good enough to go and create a scoring chance for his team. He felt, you know, desperate enough to go and do it on the offensive end. But then after they didn't find the back of the net, that's when he decided to jump off right when the Preds were countering in transition. Uh, I know I took a lot of flack for that take on Twitter, but I'm going to stand by it. That was a bad change from Patrick Kane. And I'm not blaming him for the loss or anything. The Blackhawks special teams unit was terrible. They put up 19 shots on goal on a COVID-depleted Predators team that didn't have any NHL coaches. UC Saros had started the night before. The team was probably not in the best, you know, um, physical condition. They were probably tired out there. And the Blackhawks just fell flat. I'm not blaming the loss on Patrick Kane, but let's not act like that change didn't affect the Preds two-on-one in overtime. Sure, maybe they still get the odd man opportunity, but, you know, it could have changed had Kane been right on uh, Janot's tail from center ice. So, not a good change there from Kaner. Nashville goes down the other way. They net the game winner for a 3-2 to two final at the United Center on Friday night, snapping Derek King's undefeated record in overtime as Blackhawks interim head coach. 
All right, that takes care of the Blackhawks. Frustrating loss to the COVID-depleted Nashville Predators on Friday night. Coming up in just a minute, I'll get into the equally frustrating contest against the Dallas Stars on Saturday. But first, I need to talk to you all about Built Bar, which is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. This holiday season, grab a protein bar filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decaying flavor, and also covered in 100% chocolate, but also amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat. Right now, you can get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. In so many flavors, you'll have a hard time choosing. Will you have raspberry or mint brownie? cherry or double chocolate, cookies and cream, or peanut butter brownie. No matter the flavor, Built Bar gives you that extra fuel that you need to bust down those mall doors and battle all the holiday shoppers. Or, if you're just standing in endless shopping lines, Built Bar can give you that extra something to keep you going. And do you like those marshmallowy treats around the holidays? Then you need to get your hands on Built Bar Puffs. They're light, they're fluffy, and marshmallowy through and through. In different flavors, all covered in 100% chocolate. They taste so good, you seriously won't believe they're filled with protein. And for a limited time offer, you can go to BuiltBar.com right now. You can use the promo code LOCKED15. That's one word, LOCKED in all caps, followed by the number 15, to get 15% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com with the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next Built Bar order. Welcome back to the Locked On Blackhawks podcast. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Moving on into segment two on the show this morning. Uh, after the Blackhawks had that disheartening 3-2 overtime loss to the Predators on Friday, they didn't really have a whole lot of time to, to sulk about it or anything because they, they immediately had to hit the road and travel down to Dallas for a matchup with the division rival Stars on Saturday night for the first time this season. And the Stars, funny enough, were... Kind of the exact opposite of the Nashville Predators because despite not dealing with any COVID cases of their own, they had lost their previous five games heading into Saturday night. So it was a big bounce back opportunity for the Blackhawks to kind of make up for their play just the night before. But my oh my folks, things got off to a real shaky start just a couple of minutes in as uh, Brett Connolly, by the way, who he was the only lineup change on Saturday for the Blackhawks, jumping into the lineup for Curtis Gabriel, other than Marc-Andre Fleury being in net, of course. But just a couple of minutes in, Connolly committed a bad, bad hit on former Hawk Tanner Caro. The the puck was never played by Caro and was never even in his vicinity, really. I think it was Alexander Radulov who was the one to throw it up the boards in the defensive zone, but the puck was along the glass. It, It went out. It was never going to be played by Caro, and Connolly caught him right as he turned around. It was a hit up high, and, and kind of similar to Jujar Kara not too long ago. It, it looked like Caro went unconscious as soon as he got hit because he went down stiff as a board, and it, it was a scary situation. He remained down on the ice for a couple of minutes there. The second time the Blackhawks have had to deal with a, a scary situation like this in the past couple of weeks. Um, Caro also needed to be stretchered off the ice. Fortunately, 
I've heard only positive updates on his status to this point. He seems to be doing a whole lot better. And I actually saw um, Caro post on his Instagram story that he is resting, he's feeling better, and, and he really appreciates all the support and that he's gotten out there. Uh, so that that's definitely great to hear because, yeah, that was another really scary situation to watch. Um, but Connolly was assessed a match penalty for that hit a five-minute major, and he was ejected. And he's also now been suspended for the next four games after having a hearing on Sunday. And I do feel for Connolly because I know he's not a dirty guy, and he looked so upset and and distraught after he made that hit. And he even went to uh, go apologize and say something to Carroll while he was being stretchered off. I mean, it was clearly affecting Connolly. And he was just given an opportunity up at the NHL level again. He had talked with the media a couple of days prior about how he was so grateful and fortunate to be back up with the Blackhawks. So yeah, that that was just definitely tough for Connolly. But I, I'm not gonna you know sit here and say that he doesn't deserve the four game suspension. I mean, there's there's really no argument against that hit. It was bad across the board. It was up high. Uh, it was on a defenseless player. The puck was never going to be played by Caro. It it was just all bad, and I think even Connolly himself would even admit to that. So, yeah, just a tough situation there for Connolly. Um, and speaking of tough situations, <laughs> that penalty of his put the Blackhawks in one heck of a tough situation early on in the first period. And again. Just like on Friday against Nashville, the penalty kill, man, was not able to step up early on when the Hawks needed them to. And on that five-minute man advantage for the Stars, Joe Pavelski went on to rattle off back-to-back power play goals. And just like that, less than eight minutes into the contest, the Blackhawks found themselves in a two-to-nothing hole. It was really frustrating. Um, To be fair, though, can't blame the penalty kill for one of those two goals because uh, the first of Pavelski's two tallies actually bounced in off of Seth Jones's skate. Pavelski was just trying to cross the uh, cross the puck from circle to circle and bounced in off Seth Jones's left skate and went went past uh, Kevin Lankin. And the other was just a beautiful tip by Pavelski, his bread and butter. Uh, after he was able to get behind Caleb Jones in front of the net. Also, a bad giveaway by Jonathan Taze just prior to the goal as well. And just like that, yeah, bada-bing, bada-boom. The Blackhawks found themselves down early once again. And things somehow managed to get even worse after that point in the first period for the Blackhawks as uh, they went on to take another couple of penalties. That gave the Stars a five-on-three. Full-on slap-shot regatta out there, folks, and... If it weren't for an incredible effort from Kevin Lankin in early on, this seriously could have been four to nothing stars in the blink of the blink of an eye. I mean, the Blackhawks were getting peppered out there. At one point, I think the shots on goal were uh, fourteen or fifteen to one in favor of Dallas, and they wound up finishing eighteen to four at the end of the first period. I mean, a dreadful start by the Hawks. And kind of like their game the previous Saturday against Toronto, they were forced to play from behind for a majority of the rest of the way because of a couple of power play goals allowed early on in the first period. It was tough. 
but also like they, their game versus Toronto on the previous Saturday. Despite getting outplayed, the Blackhawks managed to claw their way back and make this thing interesting. And eventually, they wound up finally getting a power play chance of their own, and they cashed in to cut the deficit to 2-1 to one early on in the second period. And if you had to guess, who would be the two that would connect to cut their deficit in half? It would probably be Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit. <laughs> That's exactly who teamed up for a beautiful power play goal here. Happy 24th birthday to the cat, by the way. Pretty nice birthday gift there from Kaner to give him a backdoor tap-in for his 17th goal of the season. Dabrinkit continues to light the lamp. He's now tied for 7th in the NHL in goals with Connor McDavid. Ever heard of him, folks? I think he's pretty good at the game of hockey. Unfortunately, just 14 seconds after that goal from Dabrinkit, I was thinking, wow, you know, maybe being down maybe being down 2 to nothing after that bad of a first period, maybe it could have been a whole lot worse. Here we are, just, you know, cutting the lead in half despite getting dominated, but just 14 seconds after that goal from Dabrinkit, the Stars went on to regain their two-goal lead as uh, Jason Robertson picked Connor's Mur- Connor Murphy's pocket and then bodied him on his way to the net to extend the lead to three to one. And it was honestly, I don't, not a good play from Murphy here. A, a pretty unacceptable play, honestly, from, you know, a guy who's really trusted upon to be a sturdy player in the defensive zone for this Blackhawks team. Not only did he turn the puck over, but the smaller Jason Robertson managed to get body position and just roofed a backhand shot past Lankinen's glove. And yeah, just like that, Stars. We're back ahead by two goals. A real costly goal there. Uh, a big momentum goal. 14 seconds after the Blackhawks finally had a glimmer of hope. Fortunately, though, they did manage to get one right back as uh, it was Brandon Hagel and Dylan Strom connected for a big two-on-one goal uh, for Stromer's third tally of the season. Stromer always seems to be scoring big goals for this Blackhawks team. Uh, and I thought he was honestly one of the better Blackhawks in this game. And I really hope King will just leave him alone in a top six role. The dude's got four points in his last six games. Let him be, for the love of God. Just let Stromer do his thing. And that was a massive goal from Strom to cut the Blackhawks' deficit to 3-2 to two heading into the third period. Gave the Blackhawks some hope. But the third period, to me... It was probably the most frustrating part of this game on Saturday because going up against another team that was on the back half of a back-to-back, both teams were visibly exhausted on the ice. But that third period was all Dallas for the most part. Even though the Hawks needed to be the hungrier team, having lost the night before, down a goal going into the third period, and... I just, I did not think they they put together nearly a good enough effort. Fortunately, they got bailed out by Kevin Lankin in time and time again. And because of his performance in net, they did wind up managing to tie this thing up 3-3 to as Dominic Kubelik got a piece of Hagel's shot from the point. And Kubelik actually has been providing a lot of good screens lately. I've liked how he's picked up his willingness to get to the front of the net and make things happen and maybe score some more dirty goals 
after uh, the prettier ones just haven't been able to find the back of the net for him. Uh, but Kubelik gets a shot of uh, gets a piece of Hagel's shot from the point for his sixth goal of the season. That extended his point streak to four games. Hagel's second point of the night, and that also tied up the game three to three midway through the third period. I really didn't see that coming after how the Blackhawks were faring in those first nine or, or ten minutes of the period, but a massive comeback from the Hawks after getting completely swarmed early on. As I said, it was slap shot regatta in that first period. But the reality of the situation is I really didn't think they deserved to win that game in overtime again because it was just not a good enough 60-minute effort. And the consistency of this team is really starting to become frustrating. Like, the alternating wins and losses, not being able to string anything together here for the past month. And and I want to give them props, you know, for despite getting outplayed, they still found a way to tie this game up and still got at least one point by forcing overtime. But in the back of my mind, I, I just... I kind of know that was only because Kevin Lankinen was able to stand on his head. And I think everyone who watched that game on Saturday would probably agree that Dallas was the better team. And on Friday, I think they would agree that Nashville was the better team. And while I am glad that they did wind up getting at least one point in each of those two because they definitely didn't deserve even that, and that's something that good teams do. They find a way to get at least one point in, in games. They, Well, I guess good teams find a way to win those games. Um, they're finding a way to scrap and get at least a point. But I, I just don't think their game over the weekend was nearly as good as it has been at times under Derrick King. And it's especially tough when the special teams department is going through some real bad struggles here as well. The overtime winner, by the way, um, came after Patrick Kane took a penalty to give Dallas a four-on-three in OT. It was a pretty necessary penalty, though, I will say, uh, to kind of prevent a potential game winner on the back check. So Kane takes a penalty, and the Stars take advantage once again. Klingberg snaps one home for their third power play goal of the game, lifting Dallas to the 4-3 win in OT. And the Blackhawks have now allowed multiple power play goals in four of their last six games. And they've also dropped all the way down to 26th in the NHL on the penalty kill at just 76.7%. That's certainly needing to be cleaned up after five of the seven goals that they allowed over the weekend in these two games came via the man advantage. All right, there is my recap of the Blackhawks. 4-3 overtime loss to the Stars on Saturday. Coming up in just a minute, it's time for our weekly Mailbag Monday fan segment where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners right here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. But first, I need to talk to you all about betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. BetOnline has you covered all season on more props, odds, and lines than ever before. As football season in the NFL and NCAA continues to march towards the playoffs, Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head on over to our new 
update a desktop or mobile website and sign up today and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKDOWN, one word in all caps, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, the NHL, NBA, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Sign up today and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKDOWN, that's one word in all caps, to receive your bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we're back here on the Locked On Blackhawks podcast. Getting into segment three today, before I let you all go, enjoy the rest of your Mondays. It's time for our weekly Mailbag Monday fan segment, where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners right here on Locked On Blackhawks. The first question I want to answer today comes from at its underscore gunning on Twitter, who asked two questions. One is more NHL and the Hawks specific, but the first is... Do you think the Hawks look like a playoff team this season? And two, do you think the NHL will be going to the Olympics this year? To answer the first one, no. The Blackhawks do not look like a playoff team this year. As much as I do get that they've been better defensively under Derrick King, they're one of the best in the NHL in limiting high danger chances at 5-on-5, and they've really tightened things up overall. But the lack of offense is still so concerning to me. And again, even though they've been playing better and they've been finding themselves in a lot of close games, more so than they were under Jeremy Colleton, that's for certain, they haven't been able to string anything together. They haven't been able to take advantage of these opportunities. And we're 30 games into the season now, folks. The Blackhawks are 11-15-4. and four. And while I get their 10-6-2 under Derrick King, it's one of the better records in the Western Conference, actually, since he took over, if we're not able to string things together here in the next month or so, it might be too little too late already. Because right now, as of right now, the Blackhawks are 10 points out of a playoff spot. It's going to take a really good second half for this team to make the playoffs. We're 30 games in now. This isn't the early part of the year anymore. We're in the midway point. Let's face it. 30 games in. It's not the early part of the season now. We're nearly in 2022, folks. So no, the Blackhawks have not looked like a playoff team. They have played better. They play competitively night in and night out, and I will give them props for that. But it still needs to be better. They still need to take it to another level. The offense. Two goals a game, that's not going to cut it. They've been scoring more recently. They did put up five against the Capitals. But they did put up four against Toronto as well. But we need to see that more consistently. 42 shots total in two games over the weekend from the Blackhawks against a COVID-depleted Predators team and a Stars squad that had lost five in a row coming into Saturday. I mean, come on, boys. We need to be better than that. And now the special teams are struggling, both the penalty kill and the power play. That's not going to help the case when the team is struggling to score goals. So unless the Blackhawks pick it up offensively here, I just don't see them making the playoffs this season. 
even if things stay the way they are defensively right now, if they're limiting high danger chances, sure, they'll win some. But the offense needs to pick up the slack. Jonathan Days is finally getting going. That's great. Dominic Kubalik has a four-game point streak. That's solid. But I think we still need to see more from Patrick Kane. He's honestly been pretty quiet as of late. And the depth pieces need to help out more than they have. The bottom six doesn't do anything offensively, really. It's frustrating. So, I would say the Blackhawks, they just don't look like a playoff team right now. There's still a ways to go. There's plenty of time to change that. I'm hopeful they will. But I think it really does stem from the offense. They need to be giving the goaltenders way more support than they have. The goaltending has been outstanding, and that's the main reason why the Blackhawks have been able to squeak out some wins here. The goaltending has been phenomenal, much better than it was earlier on in the season, and the Blackhawks need to take advantage of that by finding the back of the net themselves more consistently. Moving on to the second half of that question, do you think the NHL will be going to the Olympics this year? I feel pretty confident that that's not going to happen. I just, it looks bleak. With the outbreaks and potentially having to quarantine in China for a month, like, I just don't think the risk is worth the reward there. As much as I want the NHL players to be back in the Olympics, I mean, it makes it so much more fun, but I personally just don't see it happening, and I think that's kind of become more clear and more of a reality in the past couple of weeks with all these COVID outbreaks going on right now. We'll we'll have to wait and see. I mean, still got some time before they have to officially make that decision, but um, it's not looking good. I, I will say that. The second question I want to answer today comes from at BJR underscore 8776 on Twitter, who said, maybe I'm not smart enough, but has Murphy always made this many mistakes? Seems like he is screwing up every game. Just an observation from someone who has never played hockey. I know he does a lot of good, but mistakes seem to happen frequently from him. Yeah, honestly, Connor Murphy, for the entirety of the season, has not, I don't think, played as well as he can, and as well as we've seen him play in a top-pairing role for the Blackhawks in the past. And it's kind of weird because he gets Jake McKay back, his former teammate, with the U.S. national team way back in the day, former defensive partner, and those two have arguably been the defensive pairing that struggled the most for the Blackhawks this season. It's been kind of odd. McCabe has finally been starting to figure it out, and he's been performing better these past two weeks than he has for sure throughout the entirety of the season. But yeah, Connor Murphy, it it has been a struggle for him at even strength. The analytics don't look very good for him. Uh, He's been on the ice for, what what is this here? Why did I just scroll up on that? Connor Murphy has been on the ice for 14 goals for to 33 against at even strength. It's been tough for him. And recently he's been taking some bad penalties. He got torched by Jason Robertson on that crucial goal in the second period that gave the Stars their two-goal lead back. He's a big shot blocker, and, you know, he's willing to throw the body around. I love the physicality and his willingness to sacrifice his body for the team, but he hasn't been as clean as he's needed to be. When the puck's been on his stick and also Jake McCabe's in the defensive zone, it's been tough to get it out and to move it into something 
positive for the Blackhawks in transition. So yeah, I, I have noticed that as well. Connor Murphy probably hasn't been as slick as we all had thought he was going to be on a, a sturdy second pairing with Jake McCabe. Um, hopefully he'll be able to turn around because he, he's a big piece of this Blackhawks defense and they can certainly use him along with McCabe really kind of shoring things up and establishing that shutdown pairing with Calvin DeHaan and, and Seth Jones. Uh, when Calvin DeHaan is healthy, that's kind of taken over as the top defensive pairing for the Blackhawks. But yes, that is something I've noticed too. I think Connor Murphy has another level to take his game at for the Blackhawks this year. Last question I wanted to answer today comes from at Brody W 97360641 or Brody Wilson on Twitter. Uh, Brody asked, do you see Marc-Andre Fleury getting moved now that we aren't likely to make the playoffs at this point? And what could we get back for it? A lot of people are asking me about Marc-Andre Fleury and his future here in Chicago. It's a tough situation because there are a lot of variables you have to consider, you know. Where does Fleury want to be traded to? He has a 10-team no-trade list. Um, Where would he want to take his family? What kind of deal makes sense? There's a whole lot of things you have to consider. But I will say, if the Blackhawks are wanting to move him, I think they, they're, they're definitely going to have to eat some of that cap. There's no way they're, they're moving Flurry in this COVID financially NHL season that we're dealing with. There's no way that uh, the, the Blackhawks don't eat any cap. But I think at the same time, they'd be more than willing to do that because that's really what's going to net them that positive asset in return. I'd say it's probably 50-50 right now that Flurry's going to get traded. And if the Blackhawks continue to struggle and come early March, around that time, if they're not in the playoff picture, it certainly makes sense to try and move him. I mean, why not get an asset for a guy who, who I mean, maybe he wants to come back here if he's going to continue playing. You know, he's a family guy and he's just getting settled here. But if he's willing to go somewhere else, then the Blackhawks should definitely trade him if they're out of the playoff picture. But in order, yeah, like I said, in order to uh, attain a, a positive asset here, they're going to have to eat some of that $7 million cap hit. A couple million, I think, is possible. They'd be willing to do that. And I'd imagine, considering how the goaltender market has gone the past couple of years, I think a second-round pick is probably um, the most realistic option here, unless someone's really desperate for a goaltender from <laughs> the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, and give us a first-round pick. That would obviously be ideal. That's the number one, it's the best the Blackhawks could do. First-round pick, that would be lovely. I tend to lean more towards it being a second, um, but it also could vary depending on how much cap the Blackhawks are willing to eat. And the contract is only through the end of the season, so if they're willing to eat a good chunk of that, I mean, they're already taking on the full $7 million right now. If they eat $5 million of that for the rest of the season, you know, that could go a long way in getting them a first-round pick. So that's probably how the situation would play out, I would imagine, if the Blackhawks are wanting to trade Fleury at the deadline. It just kind of depends on a couple of different things, you know, and that's what Kyle Davidson would be working on if that situation comes into play. So, yeah, a lot of different things could happen to Fleury. Um, he could stay here in Chicago. He could sign a contract. He could retire. doesn't seem like that's going to be the case, but I'm not going to rule it out. Uh, he could get traded to another team, you know. There's a lot that plays into it, so I'm just going to have to let that situation unfold and really see what happens. Um, I personally would love to be able to keep on Flurry because I think he's shown that he has plenty more game, and if he wants to play, you know, I think he still can play at a high level for the next couple of years. 
But at the same time, if we're trying to move forward, Marc-Andre Fleury really isn't a guy that's helping you head in a different direction. Obviously, he's a great goaltender, one of the best in the league, one of the best all time. But he's already 37 years old, and that clock, whether he wants to admit it or not, it is ticking. Once you get towards 40, I mean, there's no way around it. So, the Blackhawks, yeah, it's going to be an interesting situation to see what happens with Flurry. Um, I would guess a high round pick is definitely what's in play, and depending on how much money they want to retain on that contract for the remainder of the season is really going to depend, uh, or really going to um, decide what's what the Blackhawks could potentially get in return for Flower if they want to trade him more closer towards the trade deadline. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think that will wrap up Monday, December 20th's episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show, and be sure to go and follow the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you can get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, be sure to go and check out the Lockdown Bets podcast, hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. You can get daily picks blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and even Lee Sterling's lock of the day by just simply following the Lockdown Bets podcast. It's free and available on all platforms, so be sure to check out Lockdown Bets right now wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can catch me on Twitter at my personal account, at JackBushman2, or you could also check out my Strictly Blackhawks account, at TalkinHockey, for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And for any questions at all regarding anything related to the show, you can always email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. You can also hit me on one of my Twitter accounts, or you can call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode, thanks again for listening to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.